Uh, it is a privilege for me to be here this morning and to have this opportunity to speak. I've not done this very often or ever. And uh, <laughs> so you may be in for a really interesting time. Uh, the only person more nervous than me is Sally. And I'm pleased to see that she hasn't left the sanctuary just yet. So uh, it's also really a great privilege for me to have my two kids here home from college uh, this morning. Really, I do have good news for you, and I guess a little bad news. The good news first, this will likely be the only time I preach. So when it's over, it's really over. Uh, you can say on your way out, man, that was really bad. But good news is, at least he's not preaching again. And, and the bad news is, since I only get to do this once, you get everything I got. I, I, I'm going to spill my bucket on you today. Who knows where this sermon might lead, and who knows what time you might get out of here. <laughs> Honestly, don't know if it's going to take 10 minutes or 45 minutes. You see, Blake told me I could speak about anything I wanted to. You may get everything I have in my arsenal, everything from glory and redemption to heaven and hell to sin and forgiveness or God's sweet, sweet grace and mercy. During my son's senior year in high school, we were attending church together, and it was my responsibility that day to say the elder prayer, just like Steve Moffat did for us today. Well, I said the prayer, and I, honestly, I felt pretty darn good about it uh, when, when I got back to my seat. And I went back, and I sat in my seat next to my son, Scott. But before my rear even hit the chair, Scott leaned over to me and said, Are you trying out for the Olympics? And I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, dude, that was the longest prayer I've ever heard. <laughs> you, you had to be trying to impress somebody for something. So I can promise you today, I'm not trying out for the Olympic sermon team. Simply, I would love for God to use these words today to speak to you and to speak to me. To inspire you and to inspire me and to push you toward a closer walk with him. The message today is simple. Be strong and courageous in your walk with God and follow what you already know about God's intent for your life. Let's read uh, together Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, there, now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have you ever experienced being so close to something that you really wanted, yet you couldn't reach it? You know what I'm talking about. Something so close you could taste it, yet it was out of your reach. Maybe a new car that was just out of your price range, or a new job that you interviewed for but you didn't get, or a new house or apartment that you tried to get but the deal just wouldn't go through. Or for you single folks, maybe a date with a special someone that you see every day, you can just never get the nerve up to ask them out. Or for some of you, maybe you've longed for a certain vacation to some exotic land, yet you could never get the time or the financing to go. You get the picture here. I'm not talking about something that you kind of want, I'm talking about longing for something that you can't have. You probably feel a little bit like this kid. He's reaching as far as he can reach, yet he just can't get to the cookies. He knows the cookies are there. He knows he would enjoy the cookies. He knows that somebody else is going to get the cookies if he doesn't get them. Yet the kid is simply out of luck. It's not happening for him. For all of us right now, that's something that we're all probably longing for, at least, is cooler weather. Amen? Amen. There you go. We see cooler weather on TV. We read about cooler weather. We have friends that are experiencing cooler weather. Uh, We dream about cooler weather. We know that there's cooler weather somewhere than here. But it's most definitely, at least today, out of our reach. I got a text message from two different people over the course of the last few weeks who were visiting the mountains of Colorado. And both said, in one way or another, I'm questioning some of the life decisions that I've made. (laughs) And the first decision I'm questioning is, why don't I live in Colorado? For some of you, you might be trying to remember why you live in this part of the country as well this time of year, because you know what cooler weather is like. We know there are places in the world that have the weather that we would desire, yet cooler weather is out of our reach. Like the kid trying to get to the cookie jar, we just can't lay our hands on what we're after. And just so you know, for those two people that I talked about, uh, I did text them back and say, you live in Texas, in College Station specifically, Because of October, November, December, January, February, March, and April. It's always good to be a Texan. Thank you. In Joshua 1, God is beginning the transition of the Israelites from wandering in the desert to crossing the Jordan River and inhabiting the promised land. The Israelites are somewhat like the kid reaching for the cookie jar. They know that God has a covenant with them to inherit the promised land, 
yet they just can't get there. For 40 years, they've been wandering in the desert. They can see the promised land. They've even sent spies on on reconnaissance missions. And the spies have said that, indeed, the promised land is all that God said it would be. And God said it would be incredible. According to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 9, For the Lord God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Yet they can't get there. The land of milk and honey is literally within their sight. The land of abundance, the land of their longing is right there, just across the Jordan. Yet they have been prevented from taking what is, by God's own words, theirs to take. As the book of Joshua begins, Moses has died and God has established Joshua as the new leader of the Israelites. This is obviously a significant transition for them. Under Moses' leadership, the Israelites broke the bondage of slavery, left Egypt, and began establishing their identity. And though there was some success along the way, the Israelites were quick to forget the covenant God made with them, quick to worship idols, quick to question God, and slow to respond to his commands. In Exodus 32, the very people that God delivered from Egypt out of slavery with the knowledge that the promised land awaited them made an idol of gold and an altar to worship the idol. And this serves as just one example of the Israelites' disobedience and unfaithfulness. Due to their disobedience, God delayed the Israelites' inheritance of the promised land and caused the chosen people to wander in the desert for 40 years. Yet even in their wondering, God met their physical needs, provided Moses as a strong leader, groomed Joshua to follow Moses, and provided the hope of the promised land to the people. I'm reminded of what we've learned recently about Jonah. Even though Jonah was disobedient to the point of defiance, God was rich in mercy for him. God brought Jonah back from his defiance, placed him in his will, and extended his rich and deep grace. Likewise, even the Israelites' disobedience and short-sightedness, God was rich in mercy to the Israelites, and he never hedged on the covenant he made with them. The Israelites would inherit the promised land. God was true to the covenant that he made. Like the Israelites, clearly God has made a covenant with his people today that we indeed will inherit heaven and all the glory that goes along with heaven. Yet we are often quick to worship idols such as wealth, prestige, homes, cars, or having the right friends. We are often quick to question God's sovereignty and his ability to direct our paths. And we're often slow to respond 
to God's word and the still, quiet voice that reminds us that the fruit of the Spirit is not greed or envy or anger. Indeed, God's voice is constantly reminding you and me that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Indeed, God's covenant with his people is that those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are eternally secure, yet our willingness to listen and obey is often questionable. So the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for years and years. Their leader has died and Joshua steps in. As the new leader, what are God's first words to Joshua? It's interesting to me that God's first words are not, Joshua, you really have a horrible job. These guys are disobedient. They're unfaithful. They're downright scoundrels. I hope it goes well for you. No, his first words are, get up and cross the Jordan. I will not fail you nor forsake you. God tells Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Follow the law, meditate on the word day and night, and God is with you all the days of your life. Three times God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm not certain about all the Hebrew meaning, but I do remember Blake recently talking about that in Hebrew, that in the Hebrew language, if something is mentioned more than once in a short written piece, the intent is for that message that's being repeated to have a very strong emphasis. There is no doubt that God intended for Joshua to be strong and courageous. So I guess the question we should answer is, what does it mean to be strong and courageous? And would God tell us the same thing he told Joshua? Strength comes in many forms. There's physical strength. Arnold. There's mental strength, the thinker. There's emotional strength, people banding together. And certainly nothing wrong with any of them. They're all important, but all of them are fleeting. Physical strength goes away. Even Arnold can attest to that. (laughs) I won't make you look at that very long. I'll go back. It's true. Muscles atrophy, just ask Arnold. Bodies change, just ask Arnold. Sickness happens, and so physical strength, at best, is vanishing. And while I imagine that Joshua was a very strapping figure, remember that he was middle-aged when he was appointed by God to lead the Israelites into the promised land. He was no 25-year-old man. Mental strength is temporary, and is certainly sometimes failing. I love smart people. I really do. I have such an appreciation for those with tremendous mental abilities. I've always been impressed by those who can do math problems in their head. Memorizing poetry, scripture always impresses me. But our minds become weaker over time. There are certainly things that we can do that that will help us stay strong. But our minds will likely fade as we grow older. Our memories will become fuzzy and our minds will not be as strong. And emotional strength is dependent on people. 
Emotional strength is only as strong as the situation that is present. When situations change, when life happens to us, emotional strength is not something we can rely on. Relying on emotional strength is like mental and physical strength, like relying on a house made of cards. It won't stand under stress. But God emphasized to Joshua, he said, be strong and courageous. So what did he mean? It's interesting to note that in all of God's directions to Joshua, God said two things that give us clues as to what he meant when he said, be strong. First, God said in verse five, I will never fail you or forsake you. God promised that he would be there. He wouldn't abandon Joshua in times of trouble. And there were times of trouble ahead. And God promised that he would always provide direction to Joshua. I mean, God said, I will not fail you. And in verse 8, God said, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. I love that. God didn't say, be strong, Joshua. And oh, by the way, best of luck. God was specific with Joshua. In verses six and seven, he said, be strong and courageous. And in verse eight, God said, let my word be on your mouth. Meditate on my word day and night. Be careful to follow what my word says, and then you will make your way prosperous and have success. So when God said to Joshua, be strong, what was he saying? I think he was saying, be strong in the mighty one. Be strong in God. Know that God won't leave you stranded. Know that God's word is your guide. Know that following God's way is the way to be strong. So what does strength look like? As I prayed and thought about what is strength, an image of strength kept coming to my mind. And the image is is of someone weak with disease, frail, soft-spoken, unable to get out of their bed on their own. Yet in their weakness, there is tremendous strength that God provides that comes deep within their soul. A strength that can't be explained with words, but a strength that can be witnessed. Strength that comes from knowing that God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, and the answer to all of life's questions. Strength is not in muscle tone. Rather, it's in the confidence that one gathers when they pray and meditate on God's word and follow his commandments. Many months ago, we were in an elders meeting at 7 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. And during that time, as we often do, we were praying for the needs of the church, the pastoral staff, and the elders. I will never forget the picture of strength that happened this one particular morning. We were praying for a number of needs, and one of those prayers was for Blake and Julie in their journey to have children. And as Mike Gentry prayed for them, he began to cry and weep. That picture of strength will always 
be with me. A man crying before God for God's will to be done. A man desperately seeking God's favor. And what a blessing today to see Blake, Julie, Grace, and Luke up on stage. From crying before God to a family standing before God declaring his glory. What a picture of strength. Amen and amen. God said to Joshua, be strong. And God says to us, be strong. Seek my face. Study my word. Meditate on my ways. Follow my commandments and directions. Being strong has little to do with muscles and much to do with submission to God and relying on him. Don't you love the song, I Surrender All? I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. And in doing so, we can be strong. In verses 6, 7, and 9, in the first chapter of Joshua, as we've said, God commanded Joshua to be strong and courageous. I think of a courageous person as someone who is ready to go to battle. You know, someone that's not afraid to step into the middle of a fray. A strong person that's not wishy-washy about anything. To me, this guy looks courageous. And while I most often think about courage within the context of physical strength, courage oftentimes has nothing to do with strength and everything to do with willingness to step into a confrontation to try something new, and to explore the unknown. Heck, for me, someone willing to sing karaoke has unbelievable courage. It's something I would never do. My family can tell you, they're sitting on the front row down here, my family can tell you that I can't carry a tune to save my life. Or as they say, I can hit three notes, none of which anybody else has ever hit in their life. I can't think of too many examples of courage that don't involve a willingness to get involved in something. Jesus showed the ultimate courage when he followed God's will by going all the way to the cross on our behalf. Peter had moments of great courage. Paul was very courageous and was imprisoned time and time again for courageously preaching the gospel. But courage can be problematic. What happens when you're courageous Yet you fail. Maybe a battle in a war. Maybe you worked up the courage to ask someone on a date, yet even with all your courage, the person turns you down. It happens. Courage is not always appreciated. And now to honor America and salute the men and women serving our country with our national anthem. Please welcome, as voted by you, the fans, our winner of the Toyota Get the Feeling of a Star promotion, Natalie Gilbert.
Let's clean me. Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. Oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rockets red Was Natalie courageous? Yes. Was she prepared? Yeah, I would think she was prepared. Don't you think she practiced in the mirror a thousand times before that night? And she did, after all, win a contest to have the opportunity to sing at the game. Was she nervous? Who wouldn't be? I think it's fair to say that she was courageous, prepared, and qualified. Yet, let's be honest. She choked. Her courage to try something new got her into trouble. Much like the Israelites, Natalie had an opportunity at tremendous success, yet she let it slip through her hands. Almost. She was about two seconds away from running off the stage in absolute embarrassment. In fact, if you watch the video closely, at one point it looked like she was turning to leave. But what happened next? A leader came alongside her. Wasn't Chris Tomlin or Jimmy Needham or someone from Mercy Me or Casting Crowns. It was Maurice Cheeks. I like Maurice Cheeks because I used to watch him play basketball in the 1970s for the Philadelphia 76ers. He and Dr. J could absolutely light it up. But Mo Cheeks wasn't ever known for his singing ability. He was, however, the perfect conductor for Natalie and the entire arena that night. He wasn't going to let Natalie fail. Did you see that he even pushed the microphone up to her face a couple of times during the performance when she was losing confidence? He encouraged others to sing as well, started conducting. Even those grumpy old coaches, I think it's Don Nelson and Sidney Moncrief, started singing. I'm sure that's probably the only time they've ever joined in the national anthem before a game. So what do Natalie Gilbert and Mo Cheeks have to do with God telling Joshua three times to be strong and courageous? They're both good examples for us of courage. It took courage for Natalie to be on the stage, yet she was about to fail. It took courage for Mo Cheeks to walk over to her and to help her sing I'm sure that was the last thing on his mind when Natalie began to sing. Yet he had the courage to step in when he was needed. Let's face it, 
Under Moses' leadership, the Israelites were extremely courageous at the beginning of their pilgrimage to the promised land, much like Natalie when she began. The Israelites left a life of slavery, headed for the land of plenty, where the land was flush with resources. Seas parted. Their way was made straight. Yet due to their unfaithfulness, their initial courage wasn't rewarded with the promised land for years and years. They wandered in the desert, knowing God's covenant, yet being unfulfilled. As the Israelites struggled and waited for one generation to pass, Joshua was being groomed to lead. And like Mo Cheeks, when the timing was exactly right in God's sovereignty, Moses died and Joshua, under God's authority, stepped in to lead. And God knew that Joshua needed courage. He knew that the chosen people had a history of failing and that they would stumble, much like Natalie. Yet the time was right for the chosen people to inherit the promised land. God's word of be strong and courageous to Joshua is a proclamation to Joshua to follow through on God's plan for his people. It's not a demand for Joshua to buck up and be a man. After all, Joshua is no young person. It's a directive to Joshua to rely on God, to lead knowing that God goes before him, to lead knowing that the timing is exactly Right to lead knowing that God will never fail nor forsake his people. Joshua's courage is not blind. It's a confident courage, knowing that God does indeed go before him to prepare the way for his people. I love verse 9 of Joshua 1. God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great message for us today. Though we are not leading the Israelites across the Jordan into the promised land, we are his people living out his words. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth. And I believe God would tell us the same thing he told Joshua. Be strong and courageous. I will go with you wherever you go. So if the message for us today is be strong and courageous, what does that look like for us? Are we to be standing on the street corner showing our courage and strength, preaching the gospel to anyone who will listen? Are we to quit our job and move to the mission field? Are we to lead a group of people out of the doors of Southwood and into the streets of College Station? I would suggest it's not that complicated. God gave us some very clear directions in his word. Mark 12, 28 to 31, Jesus said, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In my contemplative moments before God, when I ask him the question, Lord, 
What shall I do? I know at least in part the answer is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbor as myself. And for me, that takes strength and courage much of the time. It takes the strength of having been in God's word and listened to his voice and the strength to be reminded that God knows my heart and every hair or lack thereof on my head. It's easy to focus on what we might consider the big plans of God for our life. But the truth is the foremost of all commandments is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know what you might be called to do in terms of a job or where to live, but I do know that God calls us to be strong and courageous so that we can love our neighbor as ourself. And while loving people is not necessarily easy because of personality conflicts and life's circumstances, we shouldn't make it too complicated. Put the needs of others before yours. Be ready with an encouraging word. Care for those who are in most need. Our neighbors are in our path every day and God calls us to love them. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that not what God calls each of one of us to each day? While we may be waiting for a revelation from God to strike us as to a job or to a college or where we're supposed to be long-term, God is clear that the fruit of the Spirit is not overly complicated. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, peace. These are God's calling for our life. With your family, with your friends walking the halls of the school, at your job, with your neighbors, in the car, in whatever you're doing, the fruit of God's Spirit should be evident in your life. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As we leave today, there are some very practical ways that you can love your neighbor. Blake's going to come up and share a couple of those opportunities. Thank you very much, Eddie. I'm going to go off script for a second. Before I share those opportunities, I want to give a little preview. We're, we're covering First Peter this fall, Brian and I. And uh, chapter 5 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Well, Eddie, that's exactly why we wanted you to speak to us today. Um, It's a joy for me to work at this church. Um, I'm not in charge of this church. We're an elder-run church. I get to submit to men like 
like Eddie, men like Mike, so many other men here who are elders of this church. Uh, It's a joy to get to follow men like this who not only teach us, but I love the last part of what I read, proving to be examples to the flock. And you have been that to me, and I'm so grateful for that. So this is not going to be the only time you speak to us, Eddie. I'm not going (laughs) to let you off the hook that easily, my friend. You, You did very well. So, yes, yes, sir. Very grateful for you, Eddie. Um, well, we do have a, a little bit of our own uh, Jordan River that we're crossing, entering the Promised Land, a big thing to be strong and courageous about. We're about to launch a second service uh, in two weeks, August 22nd. Uh, and, and I want to just remind you guys what we've talked about before. This isn't just about a space issue or crowding issue. This is really meant to be an evangelistic opportunity for our church. God has called us to love our neighbor well, and one of the ways we do that is to invite our neighbors in, to come to worship the Lord with us, to find out about Jesus, to learn and grow in the word. And so we want to create a new opportunity for that to happen. So uh, just as a reminder, we're sliding this service forward to 915 and then we're launching an 11 a.m. service. We think that's going to be the ideal time to invite new people in to hear the gospel and to grow in their walk with Christ. Now, to make that happen, though, this is a team effort. We, we don't need one Joshua. We need all of us uh, to be involved in this effort. This is a big step of faith for us. Uh, and so I want to give you a few things that you can be doing that I think the Lord is calling us as a group to do in the coming weeks. First, I'd ask you guys to pray. Um, just as Eddie mentioned, the secret of our strength here at Southwood is not um, Colin's worship leadership or my teaching or, or anything that we do in our efforts. It's what God does. And I want to ask you guys to join with us in, in praying that God will give us strength, that God will bless this effort, and that God will bring many new people. People who have not heard the gospel, pray that, that unbelievers will come. Pray that people who are not plugged into a church, who are kind of floundering out there, that they will come and get plugged in and grow in their walk with Christ. So please join us. I, I didn't, I'd ask you guys if you'd be willing to pray every day for the next two weeks as we get ready to start that service, that God will be glorified in it and that he will use it to reach many people for Jesus Christ. Second, I'd ask you guys to consider inviting friends, neighbors, co-workers. Um, maybe 9.30 has been a little early for them. They haven't joined you because that's just too early in the morning. Invite them to come at 11. Come with them to 11 o'clock. It's not so early in the morning. We'd love to see them. And finally, it does take a lot of effort to pull off a second service. And the primary place you see that is in children's ministry. And so I wanted to get up here um, as a a new father and uh, as your pastor and just ask you guys to join us and help us with launching this effort. Be if If you are willing to, we would love to have you help us out in the children's ministry. Now, you're not necessarily making a long commitment. I'm not asking you guys to go sign up for two years. It could just be for a few weeks as we get things kicked off. Actually, the way we generally do children's ministry here is volunteer. Volunteers volunteer just one Sunday a month. Just one Sunday a month you come help out and love on the kids uh, and, and model Jesus Christ for them. If you guys would be willing to do that, that would be an incredible help to us. It allows us to invite families. I told the children's ministry workers a few months ago, I really believe that um, without children's ministry, we would not have Southwood. It's children's ministry that brings families here so that their kids can come and hear the gospel and hear about the word of God. It's children's ministry that's a secret to a lot of why this campus has grown. Please, will you, will you help us to do children's ministry well as we launch this second service? Now, we need a lot of folks to pull off that one Sunday a month rotation. That takes about 140 people to pull that off, people who are just gradually rotating through children's ministry. So 
If you have a heart for kids, if you'd love to serve, you don't have to teach. You can just hold little babies or just play with kids. Uh, We have like four tables set up right in the middle of the foyer. Please just go throw your name down. We're not going to hound you. We're not going to sign you up for two years. We'll just see if you're able to help out, even just for a few weeks, to help us launch that second service successfully. So if you guys will join us in praying, invite your neighbors, and if you're willing, help us out with children's ministry. That would be wonderful. We're really excited about what God is about to do here at the Southwood campus as he leads us in our next step of growth. So uh, let me close. Thank you again so much, Eddie. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Lord, we thank you that you do give us strength. Um, we thank you that our ability to fulfill your, um, your will on our lives is not based on our abilities or our strength or our determination. It's based completely on the power of your spirit at work in us. We thank you that you call it the fruit of the spirit, Lord. Not the fruit of Blake or of Eddie, but of your spirit at work in us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a spirit-filled community. Um, who treat others with love and kindness, gentleness, with patience, Lord. We pray that we would be a people who are remarkably beautiful to this watching world and that people would be attracted to your son as a result. We pray, Lord, as we get ready to launch a second service, that your hand would be in it, that you would be glorified by it, that you would be blessed by what we do. We pray that you would bless our efforts and draw many people here, that they might hear your word and grow. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, you all are dismissed. Again, the tables are in the foyer for children's ministry sign-up. Thank you.